The first one that stood out to me is on style in developing a, a unique identity. He said, style is doing things in a distinctive way without trying to. Trying is adaptation. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Today on the podcast, I have my amazing business partner, Jonathan. We are going to do a couple things, but we're going to start with, we call it Iconic Reads, where we take a blog post and we break it down. We would do books, but that would take way too long and we'd have to actually read. Um, But Paul Graham just dropped one called How to Do Great Work that is really good. It should actually be a book. And then we're going to talk about probably 10 different startups or things that have gotten our attention that could inspire ideas that you're working on. And then finally, we'll we'll do an update on the different projects we're working on. But Jonathan sent me a Slack today saying, Jim, we need to push the podcast. I'm brain dead. You've been up for who knows how long, but I said, no, the show must go on. So have you, have you mustered up energy? Are you excited to be here? Are you going to mail it in? I mean, think about it. This is the end of the day for me. And right after this, I'm going to go babysit like three and four year olds. Whereas you, this is your middle of your day. You just had a snack. You're energized. There's the sugar pumping through your veins. So we're definitely at different stages of the day. That's for sure. That's right. I'll bring it. Now you know what it's like to be me in the day and the job really starts watching wild children. So good luck with that. Yeah, I'll do my best. All right. So this blog post, it's called How to Do Great Work by Paul Graham. Should we should we just revisit who Paul Graham is? Do you want to give an update on who he is? So people are like, wait, who, why should we care about this guy? Yeah, I first heard of Paul Graham when he launched or co-launched Y Combinator several years ago. But to be honest, he completely disappeared off the radar to me after he ended off responsibilities. Y Combinator first, to, I believe, Sam Altman and then Michael Seibel, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if I got that order right. It's been handed off to several people now, and he's kind of faded off into the background. He's like the wise sage, you know, coming in every every now and again, <laughs> delivering insights for everyone else. But yeah, that's at least what I know of Paul Graham. I don't know if you have a more context on him, Jim. No, you nailed it. And the reason why his advice is so helpful is just the velocity of companies he's worked with that have failed or done insanely amazing things and the amount of amazing founders he's been exposed to, spotted, selected, and seen grow. So you could just say he's maybe the most prolific investor for having gone through that Y Combinator experience. And so anytime he speaks, it's like on the the foundation of like this insane amount of like experience that he has. So I, I definitely listen. You could probably even call him like the Warren Buffett of Early, early stage investing, he's, he's seeing a lot of volume, does a lot of pattern matching, and can pull out the insights that apply to many people. Same way Warren Buffett does it at very mature companies. So that's also one way to kind of see him. That, that's a really good point, especially in the startup world. And so we'll, yeah. we'll get into this. He did this, like, how to do great work. And first off, his blog post titles are amazing because they're so just direct there's no fluff. He's not trying to get BuzzFeed clicks. It's just like, 
how to come up with startup ideas, how to get rich, the tool. Let's see what else does he have here? How to write content. It's like just so direct. But then when you read it, you're like, this is like the Bible for this topic. So first off, when he had the the, uh, the blog post title of how to do great work, I was like, I bet this is going to be quite phenomenal. But the way I like to start Iconic Reads is what what was your takeaway from this after reading? Like, we'll start with the takeaway first. You know, funny thing is I was thinking actually, even before takeaways, like my initial impression is just how we decided to to do this essay. You told me about it's like, hey, Paul Graham just released a new essay. It's worth checking out. It's almost as if we were talking about our favorite music artist or like a new <laughs> movie that's being released. So if you think about this post, ironically, it's called How to Do Great Work, but it is an example of great work itself. And it's a post where he's not trying to impress you. As you've said, the formatting hasn't changed since 1998 on the site. It's the most outdated site I've ever seen, but the content is so rich and powerful uh, and structured so intelligently that you'll read it and reread it. It's the, it's one of those articles that you bookmark right away because you know it's going to be. It's not one of those passing posts, you know, that some random person, you know, publishes for the sake of eyeballs and clicks or or engagement. It's a well thought out piece and actually an example of the great work that he's he's trying to show. This is something you can tell he put a lot of thought and uh, and uh, time into producing. But yeah, that that was my initial impression of it. And I didn't agree with a lot of the points. I had to read it the second time to really understand. I felt there was a lot of a lot of ideas that I was already familiar with that I've heard with a lot of you know the self-help and personal development gurus and the productivity gurus out there. But I think the way he synthesizes it, I think was also like there's some interesting new ideas that I've never heard of in there, sprinkled in every now and again. And uh, there are a few, obviously we'll get to this later on, but some of the main messages that I completely disagree with, but uh, yeah, we'll get those later on. No, very cool. Yeah, that's a good point on the takeaway. My, my biggest takeaway was around to do great work. It's not about like finding the thing to work on by looking for answers, but it was all about thinking of it as, are you asking yourself the right questions to like find the right thing to work on? Because I think people really want to work hard, but it's not about like, working hard. It's like, what are you working on? And to get at that, it's it's around questions. And I think we're, we can be real quick to like, oh, let me start something and work on something where that's where you should spend the most time is like what you work on before you just put your head down. And uh, he he lays this out, but that, that was probably one of my biggest takeaways after, after I read this, because it made me ask like, you know, am I asking the right questions? What problem am I solving before I just like put my head down and want to fire up answers. Yeah. And there's also this thing that he he talks about in there about like developing a habit of working on your own projects and not let letting work mean something that someone else, like you're doing for someone else. Essentially, I don't want to say passion projects, but projects that you intentionally pick because it resonates with you or is meaningful. It's some larger thing that you're trying to achieve. I don't necessarily think this was a new insight, but I think the way he framed it was quite new and refreshing. Uh, that was definitely one of the main takeaways for me. Yeah. So so to kind of summarize it, I mean, honestly, this probably could have been like 10 blog posts. There are so many sections where I'm like, this should be its own yeah. blog post. But I'll, I'll go through some themes that I saw throughout it. So maybe people don't even have to read it. But one was, you know, this idea of, deciding what you work on is maybe the biggest thing. So we hit on that. He talked about working on things 
that could have exponential growth. And he's like, people don't realize you can be very intentional about investing in as exponential growth by choosing what you work on. He talked about this idea of the 100-year test. Is this something that people care about in 100 years? He also said to do great work, you need to be comfortable with undoing, redoing work or cutting things. And a lot of times we don't. He went through a whole framework of how to have original ideas. He went really deep on how to think through your problem choice and the problem to solve. He talked about be, like how to be on the edge of new technologies, following your curiosity, following where it's work for others, it's play for you, which I thought was you know a, a good one to hear. He talked about to have a great idea, to have a great question, you need to have a lot of them and need to be prolific as opposed to thinking you just have to have one amazing one. He went through a whole section that talked about to do great work. You need to do it with great people. And he gave frameworks on that. And then at the end, he really hit on a few things around it's better to be optimistic than pessimistic. He talked about the idea of being curious and he went through ways people fail as far as looking to uh, do great work and how they fail. So those were like the big themes that I pulled out of it. And all of those could have been their their own blog post. But what what are some like themes or categories that either resonated with you or that I didn't talk about? Yeah, I think there's definitely a few sections in there that went more tactical. Things like, okay, now that you've found this work or project that you'll be focusing on, How do you get started on it? And avoiding procrastination. We're all humans after all. And there are a few things he added in there about lying to yourself, being a legit way to get yourself started on hard projects, especially if you haven't started on, like there there are two things that he said. There's like project procrastination, like getting started on that project that really matters. And you have to trick yourself to block out large chunks of time so you can only do that thing and not, you know, end up chasing or wasting a lot of your hours on, you know, tedious things that don't move your life forward. And the other thing is lying yourself to get started on a project that you're already halfway through, for example, let's say you're writing a book and how do you get started on a day that you don't want to go back to your chair, start working, right? You just have to lie to yourself to say, let me read what I, what I wrote yesterday and kind of go on from there. So that's another tactical thing that he brought up in there. And then final one is just finishing what you've started. The value really comes in. The value of a project comes in really in completion. If you do 99% of some work, but don't get it across the finish line, the value is actually zero. And the value is in completion, not so much in the percent of value of the work that you've done. Uh, But those are just more tactical items that kind of live underneath the ideas you shared earlier. Yeah, those are really good. Um, So let's hit on our favorite quotes or favorite sections from it. Because, I mean, this was such a beast of a blog post. It it took me like days to really synthesize it. I'll kind of tee this off. I think one of the best quotes I had was around the questions, asking right questions rather than trying to find answers. He said, he was kind of going deep on originality. He said, originality in choosing problems seems to matter even more than originality in solving them. That's what distinguishes the people who discover whole new fields. So what might seem to be merely the initial step deciding what to work on is in a sense, the key to the whole game. People think big ideas are answers, but often the real insight was in the questions. And then he goes deeper to 
the idea of unanswered questions can be uncomfortable things you carry with you, but the more you're carrying, the greater chance of noticing solutions. And you talked about how you can have a question you've had since childhood that could manifest into something as an adult and how that's okay. And for me, I was just like, that really made me change how we even look at things because we want to be a hammer that looks for nails to just punch in when really you want to think through the question. So for me, that was when there was that light bulb moment of like, all right, what question do I want to ask today? But that, that was probably one of my favorite quotes. Absolutely. So I have a few as well. The first one that stood out to me is on style in developing a, a unique identity. He said, style is doing things in a distinctive way without trying to. Trying is affectation. And that was fascinating because even in our discussions, Jim, that we intentionally try to zig where others are zagging and it feels it could come across as fake. And even the, the best, let's say, creators that I've seen, people who resonate and quickly build an audience have a uh, almost effortless way in like showcasing who they are that feels real. It doesn't feel like any effort or thought went into it. It's just who they are in their day-to-day existence. But that's something that stood out that popped off the page. The other one is uh, work has a sort of activation energy, both per day and per project. And since this threshold is fake in the sense that it's higher than the energy required to keep going, it's okay to tell yourself a lie in corresponding magnitude to get over it. This is what I was saying earlier, like if there's a project that you're scared of, essentially lying to yourself to get, o- to get over that activation energy of starting it. I know James Clear actually has uh, a huge chunk of his book dedicated to this in Atomic Habits about getting over and getting started, which is usually the hardest part. And then the, the final one was just more a question to myself. is like, what are you excessively curious about? Curious to a degree that you bore most other people. And that's what you're looking for in terms of, of your interests. But yeah, those are the three ones that, that definitely popped off the page for me. No, th- th- those are really good. The other thing he gave, you're right, he would go really high level, but then he would go tactical. And he's like, all yeah. right, here's how to figure out what to work on. It's like, choose a field, learn enough to get to the frontier of it. So you're like on the edge and then start noticing gaps. And he's like, when you see gaps, lean into it and explore the promising ones. And then he talked about if they are ones where they seem obvious and you can't believe no one else has done it. And then it could look like a toy or something simple in the early days. He's like, that's when you're on to something. And so it it made me just kind of think through, it's like, okay, where do you have an unfair advantage? Where are you curious? Is it on the leading edge? And then what are gaps? And so I I loved it when he would give those very specific tactics, because those are things that I think are very actionable, especially with things like AI that, that are blowing up and lots of things that are kind of coming to fruition right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But, you know, one thing that, as you're saying, that was, and this was, was always uh, the one issue that I had with the entire uh, blog is it feels like a lot of these people that he's he's referring to, and including the four steps that you just detailed, and he even says that he, like the last part of what you just mentioned is, he says, practically everyone who's done great work has done it. Those four steps that you just mentioned, choose a field, learn enough to get to the frontier, notice gaps, and then explore promising ones. He says everyone who's done anything that you could call great work from painters to physicists have followed this path. And it just, if it felt like I was thinking of Cal Newport and how his more, his model is that sometimes you just get started and you do the work for the sake of doing the work, not necessarily because you have an interest in it or a passion in it, or that you're 
um, you're trying to get to the frontier and you naturally over time do the great work because you've put in the hours into the work rather than because you've chased a passion or a curiosity that's led you down this unique path to like the frontier. So that just kept recurring. And I was wondering like, what would Cal Newport say if he was reading this, this, this book? Because his angle is the very opposite. He says, don't wait for your passion. Don't wait for your curiosity. Just get started on work. You'll find your frontier that way. You'll become good just because of the hours invested in that thing. So yeah, that's something that stood out. Or one thing gotcha. I want to point out. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll save my, well, actually, the, yeah, the one that I didn't necessarily disagree with, I like the spirit of it, but he, he talks about like the hundred year test. One way to aim high is to try to make something that people care about in a hundred years. Where when I think of in a hundred years, I'm thinking of like legacy, brand, things like that. Whereas I think if you're looking at innovative technologies that are always evolving, I, I don't know if that long horizon makes sense. And so that yeah, one, I especially in the stage, yeah, yeah, I kind of struggled with that. I get the essence of it, but I was like. I'm not putting on my hundred year vision hat and like things are coming to life. So that that was one, not necessarily that I disagreed with, but I was like, hmm, how do I action that? No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, if you think about, especially in this day and age where things change, things that were great work yesterday are no longer great work today. And that could happen very quickly. You just look at the internet age, right? Like a lot of the the tools and, and companies that we used to look up to as kids don't exist. Actually, and their lifespan was very short. So I totally agree that that's something that I'm not 100% on, 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 on with. Yeah. Another thing that I did like, he talked about how to have original ideas. He's like, it's not about a process of like, oh, today I come with an original idea or you sit down and like, let me think through innovative ideas. He talked about original thinkers throw off new ideas about whatever they focus on, um, like a grinder throwing off sparks. Um, they can't help it. And that's when he's like, don't just try and come with ideas. He's like, they come the original ideas come from trying to build or understand something slightly too difficult. And it, he then talked about, it could be an advantage to have an experience view where you know all the details and you can look at it and, and know the nuance Verse, there can also be an advantage to being naive and not knowing those frameworks that you have to play by or the rules you have to play by. And then there's another one, and this kind of aligns with liquid mind that we've gone through is yeah. breaking through models of thinking, right? It's like we've been trained, like even from the early days of school to like have these models of thinking or how to go about world, like works, like listen to the teacher, do what they say, prepare for this test, do well in your gut, right? The more you can look at these constructs of, of these models in front of us, and it's like, wait, do I have to play by that model and think outside the box? Obviously, the example is Airbnb. Like, do I have to stay at a hotel? Could I stay at somebody's house, right? And could it be cheaper yeah. or more cost effective? It's like, wait, why am I the only one that has to use my house? Could it, could I rent that out? And so I think that one was really interesting. He talked about to find new ideas, you have to seize on signs of breakage in these models and look for new ways. And so that that one I, I thought was fun that aligned with what we've thought through with Liquid Mind. Totally agree on that. And there's another big one that I agreed with immediately. And actually, I've never heard someone say this well. It's that planning only works for things that you can foresee. So think of, let's say, Tiger Woods and his father planning out his career and giving him golf clubs when he was two and three. Or Mozart, where he started, you know, composing when he was, by the time he was eight, then all the other main composers that, you know, that we all look up to have, have done in their entire lifetimes. And they already knew where they were going when they were that young. They were lucky enough to strike gold right away. 
So planning works for them. But for the rest of humanity, where you kind of need to find your way and find your curiosity, as, as Paul says, planning doesn't really make sense. And he just says, and his model is more about, you know, as, as we've said, those four steps, choosing a field, choosing something at least, uh, learning enough to get to the frontier, noticing gaps, and then exploring promising ones, but not focusing too much on planning. And for people who want to know what the entire course or the entire journey or what the outcome will be like and what the timelines will be like, this is very difficult to accept. I'm in that in that category. I'm a planner. And to hear that planning <laughs> is not the best way to go about it is definitely a slap in the face. That's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah that one hits yeah. you real close to home. You plan every day, minute, week. Yeah, it's very impressive. I have no idea how you do it. Or GTD, I think is how you do it. So I've got two. The one was around problem choice and originality, where he said people show much more originality in uh, solving problems than in deciding which problems to solve. One reason people are more conservative when choosing problems and solutions is that problems are bigger bets. The key is being prolific at identifying different problems. Because that was another thing. He said, people that are good aren't just thinking of one problem. They're always thinking of problems that they they can go after. The second thing that got me was on people. Because you also hear the framework of, it's not necessarily what job you take, but where you take the job. Are you going to San Francisco or New York or a place where you're surrounded by people where the surface area of opportunity could expand because of doors that could open up? And he talked about seeking out the best colleagues. There's a lot of projects that can't be done alone, or even if you're working on one that can be, it's good to have other people to encourage you or to bounce ideas off of. And he's like, he basically said, if you know, you know, if you have the right people. But he's like, here's an attempt to break down how to know if you're working on the right people to do worth the white people to do great work. He said, good colleagues offer surprising insights. They can see and do things that you can't. So if you have a handful of colleagues good enough to keep you on your toes in this sense, you probably have the right group of people. And so I I thought that was helpful, like people that can look at things from a different lens, break different models, ask questions you're not thinking through, know your blind spot. That works out. Because you you see that the model of co-founders, when it works well, it's like, oh, they're the product person. They're the salesperson. So it's the perfect one-two punch. And there's some similarities with that in in this model. Yeah. And another thing also is just like the consciously cultivating your taste in the work and just knowing what good is. And I think the more time you spend in that field, you begin to identify what, what is good and what is great and the elements that go into that. And there's actually a, a video I've shared with you in the past, Jim, I forgot it, but I forget what it was called, but it's by Bill Gurley, another EC well-known guy. And he focuses or does a case study on several people who over time did professional research in their field, became extremely good at it, but they developed the, the taste in what makes something great. I think one of them was the founder of Shake Shack, and he spent time in developing restaurants would literally drive through the southern southern United States, stopping in every area where they did barbecues, sampling their way of doing things and just learning and developing a taste until he knew what he wanted to do to be to be great, essentially in that field. The other person is actually the founder of Stitch Fix and her process of doing that as well in her and her domain. But it's, uh, it's just developing taste by immersing yourself in that thing that you're really curious about over time. 
Yeah, that's a good point. He mentioned like being earnest and just being curious uh, rather than having an ego uh, aligned with it. But yeah, it was Danny Meyer, the running down a dream speech. We'll put that in the show notes because we broke that one down. That was phenomenal. Um, And then uh, the, the last thing, I like how he said like where people fail. And he says, what holds them back is a combination of modesty and fear. It seems presumptuous to try and be Newton or Shakespeare. It also seems hard. Surely if you tried something like that, you'll fail because it's it's easy to like look at these people in hindsight. But in the early days, that takes a lot of cojones to be like, all right, I'm going to put a computer in every home. I'm going to do this audacious things. And it's a little kind of it's like, who's this guy that has the ego to go and do that? So it's funny that it hit on modesty, like people don't want to make those big claims and then fear that you'll fail. But But it's so true. But it's also... The the irony is that if you do, if you go after these big things, like I think he said it before, whether you launch a taco shop down the street or you're launching, you know, a, a rocket ship company, you're still probably working the same amount of hours per day. But when you go after yeah. these big, crazy goals, you're going to attract more talent. You're going to attract more eyeballs. And, and that's how you can do uh, great work. And so I, I that one kind of hit home. It's like, are we like going big enough with the problem we're solving and what we're trying to to pull off. It's like, are we falling into that category of, of why people fail? But that, that was a really good note to end on. Yeah. And the last thing I'll end on here is just a question that I continued asking myself after I finished reading the post. It's just, what am I excessively curious about? Curious to the degree that other people would be bored if I were to talk about that topic around them. But I think that's just something worth exploring over and over again. What is it? What is it? What is that thing? I have a guess for you, but go for it. I actually don't have an answer. I need to spend more time. This is a journaling question, actually. Something to sh- to think about in the shower or when I'm sleeping and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. What is it for you, actually, Jim? Well, for you, I was thinking through like process and systems where for other people it's work, but for you it's play. It's like, oh, here's a new like operating system to run my life. Yeah. Like life hacking, I, I think you're really good in, in things of that realm where you're curious. It's it's work for you or it can be play for others. But but yeah, so for me, I don't know yet. I don't know. And I need to have an answer. <laughs> I think I don't think you're wrong, actually. Uh, that's definitely one of them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's not wrong at all. Yeah. How do we do actions from in this and not just read this and be like, oh, cool, blog post, move on with my life. I actually, in my little morning journaling, I try to add in like more questions than answers as far as like, what question am I solving today? Or yeah, yeah, what question do I want to ask today? I think that's why I'm trying to like build this into my day-to-day life. Got it. So you're asking, how do you take this post and apply it to your life? How do you make it actionable in your day-to-day existence, right? Yeah, I think... I don't know if there's a, these, a lot of the points are actually just things you revisit over time. You bookmark and you come just to, you know, make sure that you, you understand like the things about um, style being something that that's, that, that happens when you're not trying to, for example, it's not actionable, but then there are the tactical elements around finishing projects, starting on the right project, for example, completing the right project. Those things I feel are very useful. The other one uh, is blocking out contiguous hours large blocks of time to work on the project that really matters. That I think is probably the most actionable thing I'll take away from this entire article because I can apply that right away. 
Oh man, I need to play that one. Well, cool, man. That was a fun one. I'm glad we forced ourselves to read that blog post that should have been a book. It was so freaking long. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growth Hit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.